Uh, this morning is an exciting morning because we are beginning um, the Gospel of Luke, um, and we're going to work our way uh, verse by verse all the way through uh, the whole book, and uh, it's going to be uh, an exciting adventure, so we're glad that you're here at the beginning of it to start that um, with us. But of course, you're welcome to bring others and uh, invite them to join in with us um, at any point um, in our study. But let's pray, and then let's get on it. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, God. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the privilege that we have to come and worship you in spirit and in truth. Pray that we really would do that this morning, that we would do more than just sing words out of our mouths, but that there would be real praise from our hearts and worship and adoration of you, dear God. Father, you sent your son Jesus for us Uh, this morning, even as we look at the leading up of even that, we give you thanks, God, that you didn't want to just leave us um, hopeless and helpless in our sins, but that you sent salvation, you sent a Savior. And so, Jesus, we worship and praise your holy name this morning, and we ask that you would teach us from your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, precious name, amen. All right, so let's go ahead and read, let's just begin. We're just going to take this section by section. Our goal is the first 38 verses of Luke chapter 1 this morning. Um, So what I'd like to do, I'm actually going to to read the first four verses and then stop, and we're just going to break it down a little bit by bit um, and work our way through it. So it says um, in verse 1, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, Just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to them, delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all these things from the very first, to write you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So let's talk about a couple of background things here to get started. First, this is, you know, it's the gospel according to Luke. So it's written by Luke. Um, and Luke, we believe, was a physician um, who became a follower of Jesus. And it's also, uh, he calls himself a historian. You know, he became a historian. Uh, and it's in, you know, being a, a physician, he really loved the details and, you know, wanted to really write a full account. And he writes to this person named Theophilus. Um, and so there's been some question, who is this Theophilus? Is he a person or does he represent a group of people? Um, it's probably best to view him as a real person. It actually says most excellent Theophilus, which is, you know, this title. So he's probably an official of some sort. But that this letter was written to him and then it was widely distributed um, through the early, early church. But the name Theophilus is a cool name. Um, it means lover of God. So that's a pretty good name to have. So if you're thinking of names, you know, you're going to name a kid in the future. Theophilus is pretty cool. Um, and some, some ladies are going, not name my kid Theophilus. <laughs> not, 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 not Theophilus. But, you know, Theo. Theo works well, Theophilus. Um, and so you can think about this, uh, you know, because this, this is written to us today. 
And so as you read about Theophilus, is, you know, this is written to Theophilus, a lover of God. You, if you are a lover of God, you know, this book is written to you so that you can be certain of the things that you've been told. Um, or if you are you know, perhaps becoming a lover of God, then this can help to, you to have a full understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done. And perhaps that you would come to believe in him. Um, as we talk about the Gospels, you know, there's four main Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's been widely said that and understood that the Gospel of Matthew was written to Jews, written to very religious people. Um, and so it, it's great to, if you have somebody who's a very religious person, to encourage them to read the book of Matthew because Jesus kind of knocks the religion out of people and gives them reality. Okay, so that's a good book to give to a religious person. Um, Mark was written to Romans who didn't know anything about the Old Testament scriptures, and they consider themselves very efficient and very you know, busy. And so it's short, and it's to the point. It's full of action. So if you have that person who thinks they're so important and that their life is just so busy and chaotic and crazy, and they don't have time for much, well, you can give them the Gospel of Mark and say, hey, read this. It's the, it's the short one for busy people who are overly important. Overly important in their own minds. Okay. Gospel of John, that's the last one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But John was written with everyone in mind. It's a book that's very clear on everybody's need for salvation. And that's usually the gospel that we encourage people to read first, especially if they don't know the Lord. We say, here, read this, you know, read this book. But the other ones may be good depending on the person that you're dealing with and uh, where they are in their life. And the Gospel of Luke was written by a Gentile, probably a Greek, two Greeks, and it's full of beautiful language, interviews, songs, details um, that inquisitive people want to know about. So if you have the inquisitive person in your life, Luke is the Gospel for the inquisitive person. Um, And so we can see this um, as we study this book together, and hopefully um, we'll all just be tremendously blessed through it. So let's go ahead and read uh, the next few verses, 5 through 7. It says, there, were, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So we know that the religious atmosphere at this time is very corrupt. The majority of the religious leaders you know, are Pharisees and they're scribes. They're known for their hypocrisy. They you know, want to put on a big, a big show of how you know, righteous and how right they are before God. Yet, Zechariah and Elizabeth, though they're in this culture, are different than this culture. They are, they are, you know, righteous before God. They're walking the talk, they're following the ways of God, and they're being obedient to the commandments of God. And that's a great picture because they're an example, because in every culture, you know, we have people who, you know, in, we live in the South, where people are quote-unquote religious, but we know there's a difference between being religious and true faith. We know there's a difference between that, and so that's an, they're an encouragement 
to everyone to be that. And they did so even though life was not easy for them. Um, and we'll read more about this and understand more about Elizabeth's perspective as she is barren. She's without child. And they are you know, of an older age. And so she thinks her opportunity has passed. Yet they're still faithful to God. And so that's really one of the big things for us as we talk about faith some this morning. You know, it's, it's kind of easy to be faithful to God when life is easy. But are you faithful to God when life doesn't go the way you want it to go? And when life is difficult, are you faithful to God? So down to verse 8, it says, So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear upon him. We can call this not a normal day at the office. <laughs> not a normal day at the office. You know, he goes in to do his normal priestly duty, which was to burn this incense. And some of you may be thinking, well, you know, why don't we burn incense today? It seems like they did that. It's actually interesting that in the book of Revelation, we see that the prayers of the saints are like an incense before God, a, a sweet aroma before God. And so, we, you know, if you're a praying person, you do. You do offer incense before God, and that's a cool thing. But you can imagine when he's going in there just to do his normal duty, and then it says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And that when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. That seems like a kind of a normal reaction, and that's normally the reaction whenever um, a person encounters an angelic being, as we see in the scriptures, Old Testament or New Testament. There's kind of, there's this... Fear because this creature, this creation of God, is awesome and powerful and awe, would fill you with awe, and oftentimes would drive a person to their knees. Many times people would be tempted to worship, but we know angels always say, you know, don't worship me, worship the true and living, you know, God. And so as we go, move forward, Luke, so we're Luke chapter 1, verse 13, it says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Oh, he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now that's a powerful, powerful prophecy. That the angel Gabriel gives to Zacharias. He says, your prayer has been heard. Might have been praying it a long time, but it has been heard. You're going to have this son. And now here are the things that you're, that's going to happen. 
And I have 11 different, you know, specific things in this prophecy of 11 things that are going to happen. One, you're going to call his name John. Like, you don't get to decide the name. Because this one is, like, from God, and he's God. So, you know, you, you, don't, you don't get to have a say in that. His name's going to be John. Two, you're going to have joy and gladness. <laughs> because, hey, your prayer's been answered. But not just that. Three, many are going to rejoice at his birth. Many are going to rejoice. And that's going to be a little bit unusual for many other people, you know, probably, you know, possibly also because this is a, one that's born out of due time with Elizabeth being and Zacharias being advanced in age. But four, now we get into some really powerful stuff. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. Wow. Imagine that being said about, you know, any of the little ones that we have upstairs. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. Five, he's not going to drink wine or strong drink. He's going to be set apart. He's going to be different than others. We, we get an in, uh, a little clue here. We're going to see later on in chapter 3 is John. This is John the Baptist, and he's going to be in the wilderness. He's going to be preparing the people. He's going to be a little different. He's wearing, you know, like camel hair, and he's, he's surviving off of locusts and wild honey. Like he eats insects. You know, it's a little different. That uh, show Alone, it's been kind of popular. I don't know if you know about that, where they drop these 10 dudes off on, this, on Vancouver Island in these different places, and they have no contact with any other person, and they have no food. Like, you've got to catch and eat whatever you can find or whatever. Like, John the Baptist would have thrived in that kind of deal. Like, he'd be like, I got this, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, 50 days, 60 days, 100 days, I'm good. You know, he'd been fine. So... You know, he was he was a little bit going to be a, a different person, but he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Now, that's really an unusual thing. Like he is truly you know being set apart you know by God, and it doesn't mean that he wouldn't have to make his own choices in his life. But even from you know before he's born, the Spirit of God is going to be upon him. And as we, you know, read this, these first 38 verses of chapter 1, there's one thing I hope you see in, the, in our current context and environment that we live and with that abortion issue that is so troubling. And people want to say, you know, it's not a human being. It's just tissue. There's no issue here. Keep moving, you know, move along. What do we see here that even in his mother's womb, the Holy Spirit comes up? John. We know the psalmist says in you know, my mother's womb, that in inward parts, you know, you formed me. And so we are talking about you know, real life and, and real human life. And I want to be very clear about something this morning. While we have great love and great compassion for you know, any woman who has had an abortion and has the pain of that and deals with the trauma of that in her life, I have no compassion and just righteous anger toward an industry that promotes that and in the process both damages women and destroys children. And you can separate those two things, and you should, but... 
Planned Parenthood is evil. It is just pure evil. And it destroys about 10 million lives every few years. So, you know, if, if you want to think about that, I think it's about 90% of women who walk in end up with an abortion. They're going to say, well, we do these other things. Yeah, you can get those things at any health clinic. Their job is population control, and it's targeted, and it has been from its very beginning. Anybody who tells you different is selling something, just like they're selling the parts and the whole intact babies. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say something here to the younger generation that's here. Because y'all talk all day long about justice and standing up for justice and being against modern day slavery, and you should be. But on this issue, mostly I hear crickets. My Facebook will be full of a feed on modern-day slavery. And on this issue, shh, don't want to offend anybody. And what it, what it tells me is that we have a generation of people who are willing to stand up for truth when standing up for truth is easy, when the majority of people in your social group will agree with your stance. How much courage does it take to stand up when everybody agrees with you? None. It doesn't take any courage. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it because you should do it. But it doesn't take any courage to put on your Facebook, modern slavery is wrong and evil and sinful and everything else. And you can go on your rant about that. And you're going to get zero kickback. There will be zero price to pay because in your context, in your cultural context, and among your peers, everybody agrees with you about those things. You may have to inform because there's just a lack of awareness, but you don't meet opposition about whether modern-day slavery is right or wrong. But you start getting vocal about this, you're going to get kicked back. You're going to get people telling you you're wrong to even say anything. You should keep your mouth shut. And the bottom line is, most people in your generation aren't willing to pay that price. And it's a lack of faith. It's a lack of courage. And so you kind of have to think and examine your own self on that. Do you stand only when standing is easy because everybody else is standing with you? Are you willing to stand when you're going to stand by yourself or just with a few others? And I've got something to say to my generation because in my generation, we used to stand about this subject But then we got tired of standing because politically we were betrayed so many times with people who made promises to us that if we elected them, then they would do this and this about this issue, and most of them didn't do Jack Diddley. And so we got tired saying it's not going to make a difference and it's not going to matter whether we stand on this or whether we talk about this anymore, so it's just easier not to, and we'll just move along. And yeah, maybe it informs our voting a little bit or whatever, but it's not going to be that big of an issue anymore. And that's the sin of my generation. 
So in each generation, we have our own problems and our own ways that we sin in this issue. But I'd like to know if there's a more important issue than human life. Because if you can't live, then you can't enjoy any of the other rights that should come naturally with being a human being of rights of opportunity and of clean water and of education. Those things would just be basic common things that all people all over the world, you know, food, have access to. But if you can't breathe, you can't have any of those things. And you should be incensed about it because it is targeted. It is targeted. It is, it is targeted to keep certain ethnic groups' populations lower. That's just reality. And it is targeted against females. And how any liberally-minded person doesn't get that and therefore fight against it, I have no concept. I have no idea. Because it's directed against the poor, against ethnicities, and against women. I mean, what more do you need to say that's injustice? Stepping off soapbox now. Returning back to this, but it's but it is here. It is in the, this context in our culture. I guarantee you, whether it's Jesus or the Apostle Paul or you know any of the apostles in the early church, they're preaching this message this morning in our context. They're not letting that opportunity slide. They're going to tell you the truth about that issue, and I have a responsibility to do the same. Notice this. Verse number seven I have here, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, that he will go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's a great Old Testament prophet. You can read his story. Number nine, this one really struck me. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Man, that one got me. Because how much does our culture and our context need to hear that? That he turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Because even in this, even in this room, we have so many disrupted relationships and difficult relationships between fathers and the children, you know, all, you know, children, most of you, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about you, <laughs> regardless kind of of your age. But that disruption where fathers, the hearts of the fathers are not for their children. And Claire and I went um, camping, um, actually Anthony and I went on Thursday night, and then Friday Claire and the kids came, and Anthony because he had to work yesterday and today. Um, But at the campsite that we were at, next to it, there was a family. And it was really, I mean, in in that context, I was at turn the hearts of the fathers and mothers, you know, to the children. But the parents, 
especially, but I think probably especially the father, were just harsh to their two little girls. Just, just the tone was always harsh. And it was painful to hear. And how we need the hearts of fathers to be, to be turned to the children because in our culture, most fathers don't have time for that. Too busy for that. Too preoccupied with other things that are more important than children. And that has repercussions in a society and it's big enough of a problem for it to be even here in this context in the time that you know Jesus is about to enter into over you know about 2000 years ago where Luke writes that he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and that's even a fulfillment of prophecy and that was such an issue that it actually even had to be prophesied generations before And so we can see this as an ongoing systemic problem for human beings. Will fathers love their children and treat them how they should in the sight of God? But what a prophetic, powerful prophetic word about John, that one of the things that he would do would be to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He will turn, number 10, he will turn the the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Many times people are just doing their own thing in rebellion against God. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's ignorance and sometimes it's just straight up rebellion against the truth. But John's going to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just because there is wisdom in being a just person and pursuing justice. And number 11, he will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He'll make ready a people prepared for Jesus. And so we see that John the Baptist had a special calling from God. We're going to see in chapter 3 much of the fulfillment of that calling. But then this brings us to, you know, what about you and me and our lives? Do we have a calling from God? We propose to you this morning that yes, you do. Yes, you do. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. That salvation is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works so that no one can brag. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So does God have a plan for your life? Absolutely, yes. His plan is that you would enter his grace through faith, that you would stop trying to earn and work for your salvation, but that you would believe in Jesus Christ, and that you would walk in his ways because he had created, you were created in Christ Jesus for good works, for that purpose, to make a great positive difference in the world. Now, the problem is many people are trying to do the doing before they are have the being, the being in Christ, and therefore miss the whole boat. So if you're being in Christ, and then you have your doing, and you know, this is your knowing, that you know that God prepared beforehand that you should walk in these things. 
So yes, there's a purpose to your life. And I can't tell you your specific, you know, little, you know, entities. I can't give you a list of here's 11 things, you know, that are prophesied about your life and, and what you should be about and what you should do. But I can guarantee you that if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, that one of the things that you are to do in your life is to follow the example of John the Baptist and prepare people's hearts to meet Jesus. By how you live your life and the words that you share. By your example, by your speech, people should see Jesus in you. And that should be attractive to them. And how many times have we heard, oh, I don't have so much a problem with Jesus, but you know Christians. But we know a lot of the reality of that. Too much religion. A lot of people need to read Matthew and either decide to really follow Jesus or to stop playing games. And that's what we really need in the South, especially We need a mass exodus from the church. So we just stop playing the games. And an influx of people who are just really serious about wanting to follow Jesus. That, as we talked about last week, are striving, willing to strive to say yes to Jesus at any cost. South would be so much better. We just stop playing the game. Stop playing the game. But we've made church life so easy and set to where there is no bar, there is no standard, there's nothing. There's nothing off the floor. And there's no accountability. And, you know, hey, just don't judge anybody. Or judge everybody, don't matter. Just be who and what you want to be, slap the name Christian on it and call it a day. That doesn't have anything to do with following Jesus, people. That doesn't have anything to do with following Jesus. I think it's disgusting to Jesus, really. Because it drags his name through the mud. All the stinking tongue. But we have a purpose, and our purpose is to follow Jesus fully and to do so in such a way that it calls other people to do the same. And do we want to be about that? All right, let's move forward, and we're going to roll through this, these next sections. So verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings, or this good news. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Now, you have to wonder how long, how many years Zacharias and Elizabeth have been praying for the gift of the child. And, I'm, yeah, I'm sure they were praying with faith, but also probably some doubt crept in as well. And here, even after encountering you know, the angel, Zacharias is kind of like, for real, though? 
I mean, really? And so, God, we have to understand this, though. God still expected that when they were told that their, their prayer would be answered, that it would be answered. And so, Zacharias has to pay this price of not being able to talk for, you know, like 10 months. It says, and the people waited for Zacharias, verse 21, and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. Like, okay, you just went in there to burn the incense. Like, we know how long this normally takes, and you, you're, you are well past time, friend. But when he came out, he could not speak to them when they perceived that they, he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now, I like that. It's like, yeah, something happened here, and you can't talk, but you still got to finish out like your rotation. You still got to do your job, buddy. <laughs> and so now after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So especially in those days, to be and in that culture, to be barren was to be looked at as being cursed. So the mentality was, yeah, a person might look like a good person, everything on the outside, but if they're barren, they've probably got some hidden sin. They've probably got something going on that you know, we just don't know about. So a lot of misunderstandings. Um, and, and there was probably, I think she maybe hit herself because you know, she wants to make sure she's actually going to have this baby and then you know, doesn't go and tell everybody she's pregnant, and then if something were to happen, then I have to go through all of that. So you can see her humanity in this, certainly. Verse 26, now in the sixth month, when the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, engaged, not married, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. And you see her humility. She didn't just be like, Why, yes, I am highly favored of the Lord, and yes, I am blessed among women. I mean, that's what I always thought about myself. The Lord wouldn't have come to her or the angel would not have come to her, and it would not have been the Lord's direction to do so if that's the sort of mentality that she had about herself, where she was you know, the center of importance. But she's troubled at that and considered of what sort of greeting that was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your room and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? Now, again, Tennessee, Mary, young woman, she's engaged but she's not married, and still living her parents. And she's told that she's going to have a son. He's going to be called the son of the highest. He's going to be, you know, his name is going to be Jesus. 
and that the Lord God's going to give him the throne of his father David and that, that his kingdom is going to reign forever and ever. That's a lot to kind of take in at one time, I would think. But she's getting very practical to the very beginning of it. Um, like, how can this happen since I don't, I don't know a man? And, of course, we understand what she means by that. She's not talking about cognitively, like, I don't know any men. But she does not sexually know a man. She's engaged, but she's not married. Not that today that necessarily means a whole lot, but here that did mean something. And it was very important. Um, And so... She has this question. But we th- I think there is a difference between Zacharias's doubt and Mary's question here. Because Zacharias had a longer walk with God, he had greater expectation, and he was married, and had his wife, and all of that, possibilities. Hers is under- more understandable. Um, and, I th- and so I think that the, you know, she gets cut some slack here, appropriately so, for her questioning this. How is this going to happen? And the angel said to her, answered and said to her, verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, and therefore also that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we have this amazing proclamation that the Immaculate Conception, which properly understood, is that Jesus is going to be conceived and born via the Holy Spirit and not no man involved in this situation Again, a lot to take in for Mary, but she responds in faith. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. She doesn't say, well, way too much to handle, and I don't want to have to answer all these questions, and this is going to be awkward. But she just says that she's the Lord's servant, and let it be as you've said. That's a I mean, it might seem like subtle there, but that is a tremendous statement of faith. A powerful statement of faith here. And so this is what I want to leave us with this morning is, where's your faith this morning? And where do you need to exercise faith this morning? You know, perhaps, you know, you're a freshman at the University of Georgia and you have doubts about everything. Where does the Lord, where do you need to respond to the Lord, you know, in faith? Perhaps you're going through some sort of transition, you know, in life, or or you see a transition coming. Where do you need to respond, you know, in faith? Perhaps it's the boldness to stand up for justice in a way that you haven't wanted to stand up for justice before. Perhaps it's faith to say yes to Jesus on that. Perhaps it's someone at your 
work or in your classes or, some, or that someone that you, you know, live with or near, roommate or something, that doesn't know Jesus and you know the Lord wants you to have a conversation with that person. How are you going to respond in faith this week to that? Perhaps the Lord is going to ask you to do something that is just going to seem just strange and crazy to everybody else. Maybe to your, you know, your parents have this vision for you and your life and who you're going to, who you're going to be and what you're going to do for a career, but you know the Lord's called you to something else. Are you going to have the faith to say yes to Jesus? Even if that means disappointing other people. Perhaps the Lord's asking you to give up a dream that you've had that's not his. Or just to do something small that's nice for someone. It doesn't have to be big things. Sometimes it's the little things. But the question is how we respond and our faithfulness. And to be people of faith who trust God and who are faithful to him. I hope we grow in that today. That we're stretched and that we're challenged in that. And that God gives us some courage. If there's one thing Church of Jesus needs, it needs some courage. It needs some people who are willing to stand up and be courageous for Jesus. And not just say, well, I'm going to hide over here behind a tree. Hope nobody throws anything at me. Be courageous in your faith. And trust the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you for your love and your grace in our lives. And certainly we need your grace. Because sometimes, Lord, we have our, our doubts and our struggles. And we're like Zacharias. And we say, how can it be? And it's only by your mercy that any of us can speak. That you haven't made us all mute at least for a time, because we haven't trusted you. And so, Lord, grow us in our faith today. Help us to be courageous. Help us to stand for you and to stand for what is right. Help us to say yes to you at any cost. Help us to strive for that. And, Lord, we know it's not easy. But we ask for your help. As we take the bread and the cup before we do, please examine our hearts, Lord. And help us to say yes to you as we take that bread and that cup this morning. We remember you, Jesus, that you said yes, even in the garden, before you went to the cross. You said yes to the will of your Father, and you went and you suffered for us. And we thank you, dear Jesus. Thank you for the salvation you've offered each one of us. Praise your holy name. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.